0: Section 20 of The Devolutionist and the Emancipatrix. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tommy Howell. The Devolutionist and the Emancipatrix by Homer Ian Flint. Part 2, Chapter 2. Almost Human. Of course the four still had the ability to communicate with each other while in the trance state they had developed this power to a fair degree while investigating Capolet. However, each was so deeply interested in what he or she was seeing during the first hour of their Senusian experiences that neither thought to discuss the matter until afterward. When the doctor first made connection with the eyes of his agent, he instinctively concluded that he, at least, had got in touch with a being more or less like himself. The whole thing was so natural. He was surveying a sunny, brush-covered landscape from eyes whose height from the ground and other details were decidedly those of a human. For a moment there was comparative silence. Then his unknown agent swiftly raised something, a hand, presumably to a mouth, and gave out a piercing cry, whereupon the doctor learned something that jarred him a trifle. His agent was a woman. He had time to congratulate himself upon the fact that he was one, a doctor, two, a married man three, the father of a daughter or two, before his agent repeated her cry. Almost immediately it was answered by another exactly like it, from an unseen point not far away. The Sanusian plainly chuckled to herself with satisfaction. A moment later there came, rather faintly, two more calls, each from a different direction in the dun-colored brush. Still without moving from the spot, the doctor's agent replied two or three times, meanwhile watching her surroundings very closely within half a minute the first of her friends came in sight it was a young woman at a distance of about twenty yards she appeared to be about five feet tall and sturdily built she was dressed in a single garment made of the skin of some yellow short-haired animal it may have been a lion cub around her waist was a strip of hide which served as a belt and held a small stone-headed tomahawk One shoulder and both legs were left quite bare, revealing a complexion so deeply tanned that the doctor instantly thought, Spanish! In a way, the girl's face gave the same impression, large, dark brown eyes, full lips, and a healthy glow beneath her tan, all made it possible for her to pass as a Spaniard. However, there was nothing in the least coquettish about her. She had a remarkably independent manner, and a gaze as frank and direct as it was pure and untroubled. In one hand she carried a branch of some large-leafed shrub. The eyes which Kinney was using became fixed upon this branch, and even as the newcomer cried out in joyous response to the other's greeting, her expression changed, and she turned and fled, laughing, as the doctor's agent darted toward her. She did not get away, and immediately the two were struggling over the possession of the branch. In the midst of the tussle, another figure made its appearance. Look out! Here comes Dulnop. Footnote. It made no difference, whatever, as to what language was used. The telepathic process employed enabled the investigators to know all that their agent's subconscious minds took in. The brains of the four automatically translated these thought images into their own language. However, this method did not enable them to learn what their agents were thinking, but only what they said, heard, and saw. Cried Kinney's agent. At the same time she made a special effort and succeeded in breaking off a good half of the branch. Instantly she darted to one side, where she calmly began to pluck some small hard-shelled nuts from the branch, and proceeded to crack them with entire ease, using a set of teeth which must have been absolutely perfect. She gave the latest comer only a glance or two. He, for it certainly was a man, was nearly half a foot taller than the girl already described, but he was plainly not much older or younger and in build and color much the same. He was clothed neither more nor less than she, the only difference being that some leopard-like animal had contributed the material. In his belt was tucked a primitive stone hammer, also a stone knife. His face was longer than hers, his eyes darker, but he was manifestly still very boyish. Dulnop, they had called him. "'Hail, Cunora!' he called to the girl who had brought the nuts, and then to her who was watching. Rolla, where got ye the nuts? Rolla didn't answer. She couldn't use her mouth just then. It was too full of nuts. She merely nodded in the direction of Kunora. Give me some, Kunora. The younger girl gave no reply, but backed away from him as he approached. Her eyes sparkled mischievously, and the doctor thought somewhat affectionately. Dullknob! made a sudden darting move toward her branch, and as she swiftly whirled in her tracks so that he missed. However, he instantly changed his mind, and grasped the girl instead. Like a flash, he drew her to him and kissed her noisily. Next second, he was staggering backward under the weight of her hard brown fist. "'Do that again, and I'll have the hair out of thy head!' the girl screamed, her face flaming. Yet Kenny saw that the man was laughing joyously even as he rubbed the spot where her blow had landed, while the expression of her eyes quite belied what she had said. Not until then did the doctor's agent say anything. When she spoke, it was in a deep, contralto voice, which gave the impression of riper years than either of the other two. Afterward, Kenny learned that Rolla was nearly ten years their senior, a somewhat more lithe specimen of the same type, clad in the skin of what was once a magnificent goat. She carried only a small knife in her belt. As seen reflected in pools of water, her complexion was slightly paler, and her whole expression was a little less self-assertive and distinctively philosophical. To those who admire serious, thoughtful women of regular feature and different manner, Rolla would have seemed downright beautiful. "'Dulnop,' said she, with a laugh in her voice, "'you will do well to seek the nut-tree first as last.' She nonchalantly crushed another nut in her mouth. Neither Kunora nor I can spare good food to a kiss-hungry lout like thee. He only laughed again and made as though to come toward her. She stood ready to dodge, chuckling excitedly, and he evidently gave it up as a bad job. Tell me whence came with the nuts, Kunora, he begged, but the girl pretended to be cross and shut her mouth as firmly as its contents would allow. Next moment there was a shout from the thicket, together with a crashing sound, and shortly the fourth Sanusian appeared. He was by far the larger, but his size was a matter of width rather than height. An artist would have picked him as a model for Ajax himself. His muscles fairly strained the huge lion skin in which he was clad, and he had twice the weight of Dulnop within the same height. Also to the doctor's eye he was nearer Rolla's age. His face was strong and handsome in a somewhat fierce, relentless way, his complexion darker than the rest. He carried a huge club, such as must have weighed all of forty pounds, while his belt was jammed full of stone weapons. The doctor classed him and the younger girl together because of their vigor and independence, while Dulnop and Rolla seemed to have dispositions very similar in their comparative gentleness and restraint. Hail all of ye, shouted the latest arrival in a booming baritone. He strode forward with scarcely a glance at the two younger people. His gaze was fixed upon Rolla, his expression unmistakable. The woman quietly turned upon Dulnop and Cunora. "'Look!' she exclaimed, pointing to a spot back of them. "'See the curious bird?' They wheeled instantly with the unquestioning faith of two children, and before they had brought their gazes back again, the big man had seized Rolla, crushed her to his breast, and kissed her passionately. She responded just as warmly, pushing him away only in order to avoid being seen by the others. They showed only an innocent disappointment at having missed seeing the curious bird. A simple-minded people, basically good-humored, was the way the doctor summed the matter up when reporting what he had seen. However, it was not so easy to analyze certain things that were said during the time the four Sanusians spent in each other's company. For one thing, did they give thee permission to go? Rollo was asked by the big man. His name, it seemed, was Chorus. Yes, Chorus, they seemed to think it was a good idea for us to take a little recreation today. I suppose ye left thy herd with thy brother. He nodded, and the doctor was left to wonder whom they might be. Were they a small group of humans whose function was to superintend, or were they, as the books from Venus seem to indicate, another type of creature? entirely different from the humans, and yet, because of the peculiar Sanusian conditions, superior to the humans. They have decided to move their city a little further away from the forest, Rolla overheard Dulnop telling Cunora, which was the first indication that the planet boasted such a thing as a city. Otherwise things appeared to be in a primitive rather than a civilized condition. These four skin-clad savages seemed to be enjoying an aboriginal picnic. For lunch they munched on various fruits and nuts picked up en route, together with with handfuls of some wheat-like cereal which the big man had brought in a goatskin. From time to time they scared out various animals from the brush, chasing the creatures after the fashion of dogs and children. Whenever they came to a stream, invariably all four splashed through it, shouting and laughing with delight. However, there were but two of these streams, and both of them quite small. Their banks indicated that either the season was very far advanced, or else that the streams were at one time vastly larger. A rather significant fact, the doctor afterward commented. Nevertheless, the most impressive thing about all that the doctor learned that day was the strange manner in which the excursion came to an end. The quartet was at that moment climbing a small hill, apparently on the edge of an extensive range of mountains. An occasional tree, something like an oak, broke the monotony of the brush at this point, and yet it was not until Rolla was quite at the top of the knoll that Kinney could see surrounding country with any degree of clearness. Even then he learned a little. The hill was placed on one edge of a valley about forty miles in width. A good part of it was covered with dusty vegetation, presumably wild, but the rest were plainly under cultivation. There were large green areas, such as argued grain-fields. Elsewhere were what looked like orchards and vineyards, some of which were in full bloom, refuting the notion that the season was a late one. Nowhere was there a spot of land which might be called barren. Rola and her three friends stood taking this in, keeping a rather curious silence meanwhile. At length Cunora gave a deep sigh, which was almost instantly reproduced by all the rest chorus followed his own sigh with a frank curse by the great god maunoth he swore fiercely it be a shame that we cannot come hence a great deal oftener methinks they could allow it they care not for our longings spoke Kenora, her eyes flashing as angrily as his they give us enough freedom to make us work the better no more all they care for is thy herd and my crops. And for the labor, reminded the big man, of such brains as rollers and Dulnop's, it might not be right that they should drive us so. Aye, agreed the younger man with much less enthusiasm. However, what can you do about it, Chorus? The big man's face flushed, and he all but snarled. I'll tell you what I can do. I and ye is well, if ye but will. "'I can.' He stopped, one hand upraised in mighty emphasis, and a sudden and startling change came over him. Downright fear drove the anger from his face. His massive body suddenly relaxed, and all the power and vigor seemed to crumble and wilt. His hands shook, his mouth trembled. At the same time the two women shrank from him, each giving an inarticulate cry of alarm and distress. Dulnop gave no sound, but the anger which had left the herdsman seemed to have come to him. The youngster's eyes flared and his breast heaved. His gaze was fixed upon Corrus's neck, where the sweat of fear already glistened. Suddenly the big man dropped his head, as though in surrender. He gasped and found voice, this time a voice as shaky and docile as it had been strong and dominant a moment before. Very well, he spoke abjectly, very well. I shall do as you wish, he seemed to be talking to thin air, we we will go home at once. And instantly all four turned about, and in perfect silence took the back trail. End of chapter two